Well, today we are going to continue with our sermon series. In fact, it's our last sermon in our series from the Gospel of John. And today we'll be talking about how Jesus picked up the pieces and welcomed Peter back. We'll be in the 21st chapter of John, so this would be a good time to grab your Bibles and turn there. John 21. And as we get ready to talk about Jesus and talk about Peter, let's pause for a moment in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for being a God who forgives, a God who restores, a God who heals. Father, thank you for being our God who never gives up on us. Father, thank you for being our God who uses damaged and scarred people to bring glory to your name. And Father, we praise you for that. Father, it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. This is our last sermon in the series from the Gospel of John, and we will be talking about Peter today. But after today, we won't be finished with Peter just yet. We're going to talk about Peter again next week, but next week we'll be in the book of Acts talking about Peter. You know, last week we talked about uh, Mary Magdalene. We talked about how she was beside the, the empty tomb crying because she didn't know where they had put the body of Jesus. And as we saw Mary distraught, we couldn't help but think back to Peter and how he was distraught because he had failed Jesus. He had denied Jesus. In fact, three different times he said, I am not with Jesus. And today we're going to talk about Peter, and we're going to talk about how Jesus put those pieces back together again after Peter had failed. Don't you just hate seeing Peter fail? So we instinctively love Peter, don't we? He's that disciple who's always putting himself out there. He's that disciple who's always willing to speak his mind. He's that disciple who's always willing to act on his impulses. Peter's the one who told Jesus, you shall never wash my feet. And then just moments later, he's saying, well, don't just wash my feet, but wash my hands and my head as well. Peter's the one who was bold enough to get out of the boat and try to walk on water. Peter was the one who boldly declared to Jesus, I will lay down my life for you. Peter's the one who pulled out his sword and he cut off Malchus's ear. Peter is the one who sprinted along with John, and John made sure he told us that John won that race, but Peter sprinted along with John to the tomb to see what had happened to the body. But Peter's also the one who, after Jesus had been led away in the olive grove, Peter is the one, in reply to a slave girl, he said, No, I am not with Jesus. I am not with I am. Peter's the same one who denied even knowing Jesus three different times. And that is a spectacular failure. Peter's one of Jesus' closest followers. He's one of his very closest friends. Peter is the very one that we would think would be bold enough and brave enough and confident enough to stand up for Jesus. And instead we had to watch as he fell apart. Fell apart under pressure and said, I am not with I am. Peter denied Jesus. 
And now that Jesus has risen, now that he has come out of the tomb, now that he left his grave clothes behind, we have to wonder, what's going to happen with Peter? We have to wonder, will Jesus reclaim this disciple who denied him? We have to wonder, is Jesus through with Peter? Or does Jesus still have plans for Peter? We wonder, will Jesus put Peter back together again? And John kind of strings us along. He waits until the very end of his chapter to give us the answers to those questions. And John gives us the answers to those questions about Peter's future and kind of a surprise ending to his gospel. Have you ever been to a band concert or maybe an orchestra concert and you've had one of those awkward moments? You've had that awkward experience where you begin to applaud before you're supposed to. You know, you find yourself clapping and realize you're the only one that is. When you think that the song is over, but really it's just a rest, and you start to applaud, and then the musicians take back up the song, and you realize that you weren't supposed to be applauding because the song wasn't over yet. How many people have had that experience? Yeah, thank you. I'm glad I'm not the only one. And when that happens, you're, you're sure, aren't you, that everybody's like looking at you, glaring at you. The musicians, the other people that are there, especially the conductor, are glaring at you because you've been exposed. You've been exposed as a poser who really isn't all that sophisticated here at this concert. Well, John's ending of the gospel is very much like that. You see, last week we saw Mary Magdalene outside the tomb and we heard Jesus say her name. And we saw Mary run to Jesus and fall at her feet and cling to him in joyful recognition that he was alive. And then Mary spread the news to the other disciples that she had seen the Lord. And then John tells us that Jesus appeared to the disciples who were all gathered in a locked room. And then a week later he did the same thing, but this time Thomas was there, doubting Thomas was there. And then in John chapter 20 and verse 30, John seems to end his gospel in a very orderly and satisfactory way. He writes, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Sounds like a good ending, right? And we start applauding only to see John take his story back up again it seems like this is the end of John's story but John starts back up again and he starts back up again because John has some unfinished business to attend to and that unfinished business has to do with those questions that we were asking about Peter John starts back up again to show us put show us Jesus put Peter back together again So the 21st chapter of John opens up. It's the ending after the ending. And it opens up on the shores of a lake, and Peter is there. And so is Thomas, so is Nathaniel, so is James, so is John, and a couple of other unnamed disciples. And they seem to be just hanging out beside the lake. And not surprisingly, it's Peter who decides to do something. Peter decides to go fishing, and everybody else seems to think this is a good idea, so they jump into the boat with Peter, 
and they fish all night, and they don't catch a thing. And early the next morning, they're still out on the lake in their boat, and a man that they don't recognize walks along the shore, and he yells out to them, and he asks them if they've had any luck. And men, you know that this was hard for them to do. They had to admit that they hadn't caught anything. And the man on the shore tells them to cast their nets on the other side of the boat, and they do what he says, and they catch so many fish. 153 large fish, so many fish that they can't even pull their net back into the boat. And John is the first one to recognize that that person on the shore is actually Jesus. He says, it is the Lord. And again, not surprisingly, it's Peter who jumps overboard and starts splashing his way over to Jesus. And the other disciples follow along in the boat. It's Peter who jumps overboard. You have to love Peter. And then once they get on the shore, Jesus already has a fire going. He's already cooking breakfast. He feeds them bread and he feeds them fish. And they all eat together. And then after they eat, it's then that Jesus puts Peter, puts bold, rash Peter Peter, who fell apart under pressure and failed his Lord miserably. It's after breakfast that Jesus puts Peter back together again. And this part of John's gospel, this ending after the ending, it holds incredibly important lessons for us. It holds important lessons for us today because it shows us that Jesus doesn't give up on his followers when they fall apart Jesus doesn't give up on his followers when they fail. And we need to learn these lessons. We need to learn these lessons because we're all like Peter. In fact, we need to understand that anybody who chooses to boldly follow after Jesus Christ, they are going to experience failure. It's going to happen. We're going to mess up. We're going to have our times when we, like Peter, fall apart under pressure. And through our words or maybe our actions, we say, I am not with I am. If we boldly follow after Jesus, we're going to have those moments of failure. But it's what happens after we fail that determines what kind of path we're going to follow determine whether we're going to once more follow Jesus. You see, when those moments come, when we fail Jesus, those moments can knock us off course. They can leave us lying beside the path in the dirt. Or we can react by getting ourselves up and dusting ourselves off and once more boldly following Jesus. So we have to ask ourselves, when we fail, and we will fail, are we going to be defeated disciples? Are we going to be left lying beside the road? Are we going to get up and we're going to follow again? And in this ending after the ending, John shows us that we can't do that on our own. John shows us that we need help putting ourselves back together again. We need help picking ourselves up. We need help dusting ourselves off. We need help finding the path again. 
You see, we must be able to help pick each other up after failures. We can't leave each other lying beside the road, fallen and in pieces after failures. Imagine this with me. Imagine the future of the church if everybody who fails is left beside the path. If they're left lying there wounded and damaged, if they're left beside the road while the rest of us just plow on, plow on following Jesus. What does that future look like? Well, I want you to know there's no future. There's no future at all if that's what our plan is. Because all of us are going to fail at some point. And if we don't pick each other up, if we don't pick each other up after our failures, all that's going to remain is a bunch of damaged, broken disciples lying beside the road, lying there licking our wounds, and none of us are going to go anywhere. There will be no the rest of us to plow ahead. So whether or not we're able to pick each other up, whether or not we're able to help each other put the pieces back together again after our failures, that goes a long way to determining our future individually, but certainly determining the future of the church. Or even if the church is going to have a future. So helping pick each other up, helping put each other back together again is vital to our futures. It's vital to the future of the church. So how do we do that? How do we pick each other up? How do we help put the pieces back together again? Well, let's watch Jesus put Peter back together again to help us answer that question. Verse 15 When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Well, yes, Lord. He said, I, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. And then again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? And Peter answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. And then a third time, Jesus said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. It's a fascinating exchange, isn't it? Three times Jesus says, do you love me? Three times Peter says, you know that I love you. And three times Jesus says, feed my sheep. And when Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? He's showing us a simple but very profound truth about helping put each other back together again. You see, if we love Jesus... If we really love Jesus, that's the beginning point of putting ourselves back together again. If we truly love Jesus, there's always a path forward to following Jesus. There's always a path forward, no matter how spectacularly we failed. 
no matter how publicly we failed. And if our fallen brother and our fallen sister, if they love Jesus, if they really love Jesus, no matter how spectacular their failure was, no matter how public their failure was, there's always a path forward for them to follow Jesus. What's the first and greatest commandment? We all know it, right? What's the first and greatest commandment? I heard bits and pieces of all of that. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with your entire mind, with all of your being. That's the first and greatest commandment. And that's also the beginning point of putting ourselves back together again, is our love for the Lord. We must love the Lord with all of our heart and all of our soul and with all of our mind. And since Peter loved Jesus, Jesus can work with that. Jesus can build on that foundation. He can put Peter back together again. And if I love Jesus, Jesus can certainly work with that. He can put me back together again, no matter how spectacular was my failure. And if you love Jesus, Jesus can work with that. He can help put you back together again, no matter how spectacular your failure If we love, Jesus can work with that. Because Jesus shows us with Peter that he focuses on that love instead of focusing on our failure. Well, let's notice what Jesus does next. Jesus then moves Peter's focus. He moves Peter's focus off of Peter's failure and he moves it on to something else, something that's more important. You see, if Peter's focus is going to be just on his failure, Peter is not going to go anywhere. Peter can't be put back together again. If he's going to move forward, if he's going to once more follow Jesus, his focus has to be elsewhere. So Jesus moves Peter's focus off of Peter's failure, and he puts it on other people. He replaces that focus with the needs of others. He says, Peter, feed my sheep. Jesus replaces Peter's guilt by giving him a mission. And if we're going to move forward after we have failed, we've got to move the focus off of our failures and instead place it on the needs of others. You see, our failures of the past, those can't blind us to the needs of others, the needs that they have now. And if we're going to help each other move forward, If we're going to help each other put the pieces back together again and follow Jesus, we're going to have to stop focusing on each other's failures and instead focus on the opportunities that exist to serve each other and our needs now. Our God is a God of second chances. Our God is the God of third chances. Our God is the God of fourth and fifth and sixth chances. Our God is one who forgives. But he doesn't forgive us so that we can lay beside the road and lick our wounds. He forgives us so we can move forward 
in love, and in service. So we've got to stop focusing on each other's failures that were in the past and instead focus on giving each other those opportunities that exist to serve others right now. Yeah, Jesus puts Peter back together again. And he does it by forgetting the past, but he does it by focusing on the future. He says, Peter, feed my sheep. And if we're going to help each other, if we're going to help each other move forward and put our pieces back together again, we can acknowledge those failures of the past because those are important. They're an important part of who we are. We acknowledge those failures, but then we focus on our future, our future as servants of Jesus Christ, our servants of each other. And if we love Jesus we love Jesus like Peter loved Jesus, oh, Lord, you know that I love you. If we love Jesus, then we all have a future as servants in God's kingdom. We all have a future, no matter how spectacular, no matter how even public our failures may have been. In fact, We serve a God who even uses our failures to make us even more effective as servants in his kingdom. See, just like Peter, oftentimes it's our failures that make us even more useful to God and to God's purposes in his kingdom. God uses our failures. He uses our failures to equip us. He uses our failures to prepare us. He uses our failures to equip us and prepare us to serve others. How does he do that? Well, first of all, God uses our failures to reveal us. Our failures have a tendency to strip our facades away. Our failures show us who we really are. They reveal our weaknesses. They reveal our vulnerabilities. They show us where we need to grow. And our failures especially reveal just how dependent we really are. But God doesn't just use our failures to reveal us. He also uses our failures to change us. Our failures humble us, don't they? They humble us and they show us that we cannot do this on our own. And our failures teach us. Those failures are extremely painful. But our failures are also extremely effective and they're extremely valuable instructors for us. We're like children, aren't we? We're like children. We sometimes don't believe that the oven is hot until we actually touch it for ourselves. Our failures teach us, they instruct us. And our failures mature us and they mature our faith. You probably heard it said that old age just comes from living a long time. But our goal isn't just to get old. Our, our goal is to get mature and wise and maturity and wisdom. That only comes if we learn lessons as we live those years. Especially the lessons we learn from our failures during those years. A mature faith isn't developed without some scars. 
Scars are simply healed wounds. They're healed failures. So as we mature in our faith, we'll have scars to show for it. Because we will fail. We will fall apart. But those scars are evidence that Jesus and our church put us back together again. That Jesus and our church helped us heal again. So that we can follow again. So that we can serve again. Our scars are an important part of our faith, but they don't define our faith. Peter's denials were an important part of his faith. His denials revealed him, but his denials also taught him. Because Peter denied Jesus, yes, he did, three times. But then Peter became the rock of Jesus' church. And Thomas, Thomas doubted the resurrection I won't believe it until I see it and I touch it. Thomas doubted, but then he saw, and then he believed, and then he helped start Jesus' church. And James and John, they angled, they strived, they were pushing for a superior place in God's kingdom. And then they became servants. They embraced their roles as servants in the kingdom. And Paul, Paul persecuted the church. He dragged Christians away to be thrown in prison. He held the clothes while Stephen was stoned. But Paul became the great missionary for Jesus to all of the Gentiles. Our scars define who we are They shape who we are, but they don't keep us in the past. Instead, they mature our faith. And Jesus uses them to equip us to serve him in spectacular ways and bring glory to his name. See, I have and you have. We have denied and we have doubted. We have angled for position. We have persecuted other people. We have failed. Every one of us is scarred. But that's all in the past. The question this morning is, what are we going to do now? What are we going to do in the future? What are we going to do to make sure that those failings don't define our faith, but just shape our faith? See, brothers and sisters, we must look ahead. And if we as individuals, if we as a church remain focused on our past failures... If we remain focused on our own failures, on the failures of those who surround us, we're going to miss seeing all the opportunities that are right in front of us now to serve God and to serve each other. We're going to miss seeing the opportunities to serve that will be right in front of us, both now and in the future. And if we allow our failures and if we allow the failures of others in the past to prevent us from moving ahead... We're going to be stuck in yesterday, and so will our church. But thank God that we have a God, we serve a God, who not only put Peter back together again, but who puts us back together again. 
And thank God that he put Peter back together again because Pentecost is coming. And God has plans for Peter. God has mighty plans for people, for Peter. And I believe that God has mighty plans for us. So let's work together with God. Let's work together with Jesus. Let's help put each other back together again. Because the future is coming. And God has mighty kingdom plans for you. And God has mighty kingdom plans for me. God has mighty kingdom plans for us as a church. God has plans for you and for me and for this church to take our places in his kingdom right alongside all the other great failures that God has used in the past. God has plans for us to take our place right alongside Peter, Peter the denier, right alongside Thomas, Thomas the doubter, right alongside James and John the strivers, And right alongside Paul, the persecutor. And when we take our place alongside those other great failures, it's possible for you and it's possible for me. It's possible for us to do that because Jesus Christ died on the cross for us. By his wounds we are healed. By his scars we have been healed. And that makes it where we're allowed To not be defined by our failures of the past. Instead, we're defined by who we serve now. We serve the risen Savior. By his scars, we are healed. And taking our place alongside those other great failures in God's kingdom is possible for us. Because our God uses our weaknesses. He uses our failures to show his strength. To show his glory. The same God who used the denier and used the doubter and used the strivers and used the persecutor to his glory. Stands ready to use us in our weaknesses and in our failures and with our scars. He stands ready to use us to glorify his name. By Jesus' scars we are healed. And by our scars he is glorified. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for being the God who picked Peter up and put him back together again. Father, thank you for being the God who used Thomas and who used James and who used John and used Paul to bring glory to your name. And Father, help us to pick each other up and to put each other back together again so your name will be glorified by what you do through us. Father, thank you for healing our scars. Thank you for healing our scars by the wounds of Jesus Christ. And Father, we pray that you will use our scars to bring glory to your name. It's the name of Jesus who not only is the crucified Christ, is the Christ who rose from the grave and who lives now with you in heaven. Father, praise your name. Amen. By his scars, we are healed. And by our scars, he is glorified. There is victory in Jesus.
Let's stand and sing about that victory now.